It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. Everybody, welcome to the show. My guest today, she spent 14 years in corporate America before embarking on a journey to improve her physical health and to do a lot less of what was expected of her, a lot more of what she really enjoyed. So now she's achieved what she calls interdependence in her work and in her life. She's a coach, she's a writer, a teacher, and one of my LinkedIn BFFs. She is Miley Iska. How are you today, Miley? It's great to be here, Matt. I'm doing well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I wanted to let you know that a lot of my first, uh, my uh, listeners, I should say, are either first-time leaders, they're aspiring leaders, they're early career people. And so I thought maybe to get us started, I could get your take on how you differentiate what's different between doing the work and leading the work. I think probably the best way to explain how I feel about leadership that doesn't re-enter those details is to use an analogy. And I use the analogy of a train. So on my train, the team members are the cars. The team leaders are the links in between the cars. And the vision that I've set forth is the engine of that train. Now you'll notice I'm not on that train. I'm the tracks of that train. And if I decide to get on that train, everything comes to a screeching halt. So they know their assignments, they know their roles. And even if they don't, I'm not going to stop and come and sit down next to them and take their role back. It's not fair to them. And I think it's degrading to say to somebody, I can do your job better than you can. It's not fair. So I stay on those tracks and I navigate what upper management wants us to do through those switches and around the hills and, and through those valleys. And I'm in front of them. So I want to make sure that each day I'm making the decisions that keep me off of that train. And the vision sets the pace. I had never heard that analogy before, but I really like it. So it's one, I love that you said that you're not actually on the train, you know, the mm -hmm. vision's driving you forward. Mm -hmm. And it really, it really does a great job in my opinion of, of highlighting infrastructure, right? The leadership infrastructure that helps individuals be at their best, stay on course and, and really, you know, do great things. Yeah. And more than they think they can do. I always believe more that they're capable of more than they believe they're capable of. And right. that takes them higher. It takes them further. And I want them to look one day and say, look at what we did. That's, that's leadership. Yeah. And I think that it, it also really highlights the fact that it's very tempting to get back on that train. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's because you just want to help out. You're trying, you know, you, you come from well-intentioned place, mm -hmm. but it, tell me a little bit more. You, you mentioned, you said that it's, it's not that it's insulting. I forget the term that you just used, but it's degrading. Yeah. You know, you gave me this job. You hired me. You chose me. There's a lot of people in this world and you chose me. You sat me down in a chair and then you came and you took it away. Now, did you hire me because I belong here? Did you hire me because, you know, I'm better than your brother-in-law or because I can do the job and you believe in me? And as long as I don't get on that train, I tell them I believe in you. Hmm. 
And yet the vision, we talk about that in the context of the engine of the train, this is not a theoretical vision. So, you know, coming from a background of customer support and development and all of that stuff that, I mean, people are not going to die. This is not healthcare. Um, so when I lay forth a vision, what I want to know is what's the difference between today and when we achieve that vision? And it has to be in very concrete terms so that it makes decisions for them. So if I'm talking about customer support, one way that I know it's better is I have fewer repetitive questions because I've done something about it. I have customers that are going to the website. They're not coming to me. I have experts dealing in the new issues and training people and bringing them forward. And then I'm going to look at employee satisfaction. If what I'm doing and what that vision does doesn't bring job variety, my vision is flat. Hmm. If they don't gain a depth of knowledge, if there are no mentor relationships, if there's no career pro progression, that's the stuff I want in the vision. And then everything they do, their daily decisions will actually address the improvements we want to make. And they don't have to ask me because they can just compare the two. Today versus where we're headed, is it better or is it not? And they don't have to ask me. So the leader's got the job of not only hiring the right people to be the cars, right, and to, uh, exactly. to, to be part of the train, but then also to make sure that that vision is clear and, and articulated well and, and is uh, has all the right components, as you described. Right. And then to, to be the track, to really make sure that, uh, that that things stay on the rails, you know, to overuse that analogy, and, mm -hmm. and to, to keep things moving forward. In your experience, in my experience, I see that a lot of times leaders do get on the train. Yes, Even do. experienced leaders, it can be tempting. Maybe there was a, a change in market conditions. Maybe a performance yeah. metric has kind of gone awry. But what are some of the other conditions or situations that you've seen that can tempt an experienced leader, even an experienced one, to, to get back on that train and, and really get down into the weeds of, of the detailed work? Well, I think that you really highlighted what the source of a lot of those things are, because it's not the inside of the leader. It's all this external pressure. And there's a lot of pressure depending on where you are in an organization, how new you are. And really your immediate manager makes all the difference in the world. Because if they're protecting you, you can do almost anything. If they're invisible, you're not sure what you can do and what won't work. And if they're actually kind of, what do you want to say, an antagonist, you're not going to perform well. So all of those external forces really bring to bear what happens if my team makes a big mistake? Oh, well, I can fix this better than they can. Well, maybe, maybe not, because now there's nobody looking down the track. What about they have too much work? And you know, this happens really in every company and you hope it does because that's where the revenue comes from. But it never happens in this nice steady stream like a fire hose. It happens, you know, more like this tsunami and you have to figure out how to handle it. Well, I can sit down with them. It doesn't help them. It literally, you're in the way. And, but another one is no trust from your immediate leader. They're looking for criticism. They're going to criticize you. They're going to blame you. I'm going to head for the hills and I'm going to go hide my team. And I've seen this happen before. And now the team doesn't know what to do. So those kinds of things can happen, but they almost always happen from the outside. And it's not necessarily the outside of the company. Yeah. And, and in your experience, have you seen that happen more often with um, 
capable individual contributors who get turned into managers. Uh, I'm trying mm -hmm. to think of people. Yeah. I, I see, mm -hmm. It's something that I see a little bit. Yeah. I just wonder if, if if you have special coaching when you're working with people who, you know, high performers that are in, in their first time management role, I think it could be extra tempting to just do the work yourself. Push them right. we always, I, I've seen this happen two, two ways. One was don't promote them straight up. Put them somewhere that can't do the job. And then they can learn to do the, the leadership side. Well, not every place is big enough you can do that. And in some places where you have to have, you know, the the degrees or the licensing or whatever to do in, a, in an accounting department or a legal department or something like that, you have to have the credentials to do those roles. But there's also, am I promoting the right person? Has that person started to think differently? Because if they're not thinking differently, they're not thinking about systems. They're not thinking ahead of time. They're not looking at outcomes. Those are not the people you promote. If they're really super good at the tasks on demand, they get great results and they also get stuff finished. Maybe they're not the best person to promote into a management role. And I, I saw it happen in a couple of places where we actually did the realignment. I actually conducted a, a retirement party for my supervisor who wanted to step back down. And I thought we have to make this positive. It was six months ago. She was promoted. If we don't, she could quit. She could give up. She could not stand as tall as she could. We have to make this positive. There are 30 people in a little tiny conference room to try to make it positive for her. And it worked. That's what was neat about it was it worked because she got the message. This is not a failure. And I was glad she admitted she wanted to go back into the technical realm. Hmm. And I think it's it's um, one of the leaders job that you mentioned talking about how to think. And it's like trying to train people how to make decisions, how to exercise judgment, how to collect mm -hmm. information. Yep. What sort of, of uh, coaching and, and counsel do you provide to managers who in that realm where it's like, it's great that you know the answer, but maybe it's not about you right now. <laughs> exactly. And, and how about delegation? Let's let them test it out. I, I want to go to my manager and say, give me something that you have to do that you think that I'll either like it or hate it. And let's find out. Or to even to my team, do you like X, Y, Z? And they say, I don't know. Well, let's find out, you know, before you take that next step, let's test it on you. Let's experiment on you. And before you make a step that you're really going to hate. Right. It's only like you take that new role for a test drive almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then you're doing it in safety in your own head. It doesn't, I mean, there isn't any real danger here. Like I said, it's not the medical realm. So we can check it out and we can say your gifts don't match that. And neither do your aspirations. Right. And come to that conclusion together based on mm -hmm. now, now an experience. I do think that a lot of uh, early career people feel that the pressure to move upward, if they want to show continual progression, maybe they've got mm -hmm. peers who've been promoted, maybe even just people they went to school with at different companies now. It's like, yeah. well, I guess I'm going to have to be a manager now. So I'm going to mm -hmm. go ahead and make it clear that's what I want. And I'm going to ask for that and put myself in that position, even though it may not be what they want. Right. And I think the other thing that as we look at the work, a leader focuses on the employees and the employees focus on the customers and getting the work done. Well, what if you're really good at figuring out how to turn the faucet down a little bit? So we're not getting so much work automate. How do you, what are the things that the technical people they're in a different realm? 
I mean, people who invent stuff are not like you and me. Hmm. And, and I'm glad they're not because they think of ways to turn that faucet down. Maybe it's going back upstream a little bit and saying, okay, wait a minute, we got to fix this particular glitch in the system, or we have to change the way we do this, or we've got to prevent this over here. And all of those things, if we can get people thinking the way they think instead of the way they think we want them to think, we're all better off. Yeah. And you mentioned trust and, and creating that safety. I think that goes a long way to saying, hey, you know, my honest assessment is you're, you're really good at this. This is your superpower over here. Right. And it may not look like this career path that you thought was the only way to create value at the company right. and get promoted and make more right. money or whatever it is you want to do. But open your eyes to say this is a, a, the right path for you. And with, the, right. with trust, you might be able to that message might get in. And, and without trust, it would be like, no, no, this is the only way for me. Right. And years ago, the great big companies had absolutely no technical progression whatsoever. There was no way to go up unless, like you said, you crossed over. And those were painful years because we ended up with some supervisors that, oh my goodness, you know, and fortunately upper management said, if we don't do something, we're going to lose the people that we're billing to customers. And what are we going to do? So you start talking about system architecture and the big stuff that now we stand on is the internet. There are people who thought those things up and I'm so grateful that they did because I don't know what that stuff does. You know, I'm not interested in opening a computer and there are people who design the stuff that goes inside them. And if we had not made that transition so many years ago, where would we be? The internet would not function. Yeah, no, that's very true. And it, I've got enough gray whiskers. I've been around in the game a little bit. And I used to see it most often, definitely with sales professionals and with coders, where mm -hmm. it was like, let's take our best salespeople and our best coders. Oh, I know. I got an idea. How about this? What if we make a managers? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that right. solve all our problems? And you're like, uh, no. Yeah, right. And we went through those times of saying this does not work. And the reason it doesn't work is not because they're wrong. They're just in the wrong spot. Right. And then for those leaders who we you know are, are going through and, and we're managing people, and let's say that I'm a leader and I'm I'm uh, I, I love your analogy and I, I'm going to be the track. One of the things that you coach your leaders to do is to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. And I love this approach. I wonder if you could tell us why is this important, and can you give us some examples of the questions that you believe that, that leaders should really be asking their their people? Well, when I'm asking questions, I'm actually trying to start conversations. If I can get them talking, they'll say things that are honestly make the situation make sense. I'm not looking for blame. I'm not going out trying to say who screwed up because all of a sudden there's nobody to talk to. They're head for the hills. And I've seen managers do that. I'm looking for who to blame. Who to blame doesn't matter. Let's get everything back up and running. Let's get the customer like they're okay and we'll move on. And that happens in every kind of business you can imagine because there's customers in every business. So if it goes unexpectedly, I swap into manager mode and my focus is on the work, not the individual. I have to separate the two. And now the truth can come out and I'm asking about the work. So not who screwed up, not who do I need to look at, but where are we? What's broken? What, who do we need to call? Because as a, as a leader, I better have different relationships in different areas than my team does. 
And that also is part of being on the tracks to establish those relationships before I need them. Because I can't pick some, some phone up somewhere and call somebody who's never heard of me and ask them for something that's unconventional. I had better already have been there. Hmm. So I lead people, but I manage work processes for high quality results and a consistent customer experience. And if I can keep those two going back and forth and I'm asking my people about the work, then they're okay. So those things, I want to move the obstacles and I, cause I can't see what they can see. And one of my honestly favorite questions is how can I help? And then it's like, they'll tell you exactly what they want you to do because they're looking for somebody to say, you know, I either need you to do this or do that, you know, go find out what happened to the phone system, find out why we're disconnected from the internet so they can stay where they need to be. Gotcha. So, so you got your, your, your biggest customer calls escalates an issue says, you know, I was on the phone with your person here and, and uh, this wasn't going to be, it's going to be two weeks late and that's unacceptable. I'm really frustrated. You're saying in that moment, it's not a time to go looking for blame, looking for who, who, who delivered the message that way. Why'd you deliver the message wrong? It's like, no, 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 hold on time out. Let's look at the work process that led to the situation. Let's get that fixed before we go back and start talking to the people involved. Is that how you, how you look at that? Well, and also if I start asking that customer questions pretty soon, I find out that two weeks is their fault mm -hmm. because they missed three deadlines that we were supposed to have an answer back. And if I go shoot the team, the team is trying to say, this is what the customer did. I want the customer to admit that because then I don't have to go into the team and say, because I already know that they already did that, but I'm going to get the customer to admit it because I have my teams back. Every time I have my teams back. Now my manager already knows we're two weeks behind because I have her back too. So my job is to protect my upline from any kind of surprises and to protect the people who report to me from getting shot. Hmm. That makes total sense. I, I think that, you know, uh, this is where you start to see somebody who was, had great customer service ratings, for example, they uh, were really great with the customers. They were really prized those relationships. We promote them into a supervisory position. And if they continue to side with the customer versus doing the investigative right. work like you're talking about, all of a sudden they end up burning through the team because what was the superpower in their new role, not so much of a superpower. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if I tell them the customer's always right, oh, no, because they're not. Yeah. It's just not true. Yeah, It's just <laughs> not true. And, and I think the leader's not always right either. I think it's one of the things I, I really appreciate about the latest uh, generational cohort to enter the workforce is, full transparency. Let's talk about vulnerability. Let's admit when we make mistakes. It's okay mm -hmm. to make mistakes. It's okay to share the good and the bad. Right. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, the, the, the customer's not always right. The leader's not always right. The, the business environment moves very quickly. It's very complex. So mm -hmm. I love the analogy of asking questions to try to understand where, what's broken in our systems, not necessarily, you know, our people. And at right. the same time, how do we start to influence the thinking? Because I want to develop in my future leaders ways to investigate and break down problems and get things right. running again the way they're supposed to. That's what right. they're going to need to make that next level and eventually take my job, I hope. Right, right. And I'm I'm grooming them to do that. Exactly right. It's a, it's it's amazing. I, I really appreciate that perspective. 
One of the things I want to do, of course, is uh, introduce a little bit of, of fun and levity, some variety here. And when I was thinking about our conversation today, I think in this conversation, you've talked a little bit about automation. You've talked about systems. When I think about you and the, the exchanges we've had on LinkedIn, I thought about that systematic approach you take, which is very different from mine, and I very much appreciate it. And I thought of the, the 1960s uh, kids game Operation. You remember Operation, yep. this fun yep. game? So you got this, uh, for, for people who don't know, it was a kid's game. It's, it's got a, a, a battery-operated uh, closed-circuit system. There's there's a, a, a figure drawn on there named Cavity Sam is his name, actually. And he's got a red bulb for a nose. And yeah. your job is to go in and remove these little plastic bits, these fun-named little bits. And uh, if you touch the sides, and it, goes, it makes this noise, and, and uh, you don't get that piece or whatever it is. So my, my question is, you, I was going to ask for you, my how many do you remember some of the pieces, the names of the pieces that were inside of the the game that you were asked to remove from from Cavity Sam? The one that comes to mind is Wishbone, and I never figured out how he got a wishbone. <laughs> I got a wishbone. I know it's so true. <laughs> wishbone is definitely one of them. Yep. That's right. I can't there, think of the others. Some of the even some of the body parts. One of the ones I loved was uh, Bread Basket. Yeah. They had a Bread Basket. That was a good one. I like mm -hmm. that one. Um. One of the pieces wasn't even a plastic piece at all. You actually had to put a piece in. It was a little uh, rubber band. A little stretch oh, rubber yeah, band. I remember that. Yeah, it's called the ankle bone connected to the knee bone. Is that yeah, that yeah. <laughs> and they had another one that was um, wrenched ankle. So mm -hmm. it was like, like literally a wrench yep. in the little guy's ankle, and you had to reach in there and grab that thing. Yep. That was very funny. Can relate, can relate to that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had, a, they had a whole bunch of them. But then one thing I had to look it up, I didn't know. In 2004, they had a, uh, a, a uh, fan choice. They added another piece and the fans got to vote on it and they chose an ice cream cone right inside of his forehead and it was called Brain Freeze. Oh, and, wow. Okay. So not quite the same operations and operational management, but I thought operation would be a fun, I like that. I a like fun that. little trip down memory lane there. Yep. So I tell you what, I think um, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Miley. I, I feel like the, you gave us a new analogy. I've been around a long time, but I'd never heard that analogy. I really enjoyed that one. And it's making me think too about, you know, am I, the, the size of the vision that I'm creating for my team is the locomotive. It's, it energizes, it provides direction. It really provides the oomph and the go. So it's my job as a leader to create that. And then I really like the idea about tracks. I've been thinking a lot over the last few weeks because we're going in the second half of the year uh, as we're recording this. And I'm thinking about infrastructure. I'm thinking yep. about leadership and what my job is in terms of making sure roles and responsibilities are clear and that the, you know, the, the direction is clear, the success metrics are defined, all these types of things that, that I equate to leadership infrastructure for my team. So mm -hmm. I really like that analogy a ton. So thanks for sharing that with us. So do we have a minute? I can kind of, I don't know, put a little bit of a time delimiter. Yeah, absolutely. The tracks. If you take the, the standard org chart, and you turn it 90 degrees to the right. The people that are on the bottom are in today. And every leader is further out on those tracks. So if I'm not in front of them in time, I'm never above anybody. But if I'm in front of them in time, I'm worrying about the track. I'm looking at their workloads. I'm looking at what's coming at us. And I'm preparing them through constant training. We put training in every day. Because every my customers are learning constantly. My team has got to be in front of them. So then I expect my manager to be in front of me in time. And I expect the big guys to be way out there 
making sure the track is clear because if you change direction on me and you don't give me enough time, my train is going to be impacted by that. But if you give me enough time, you give me the switch in my track and I'll follow you to the end of the earth. And that way we can make those transitions between models that we work on and approaches that we take, procedures that we need. So we all need to be stretched out on that track because the people that are in today are on those trains. I love that. I love that. I'm a huge fan of, of time horizons and, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to understand the different responsibilities for how far into the future, different levels should look at it, a director versus VP right. versus senior versus whatever. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Miley, where can my listeners go to learn more about you, connect with you? Where can they do that? Well, they can definitely go to my website, which is MileyIsky.com. And I would encourage people to look for the unspoken questions page, which is a PDF for people that are in transition to leader. It kind of challenges you. Are you really thinking like a leader? And do you understand what some of those terms are? Um, I have a YouTube channel called Ask More Questions, and I have a Facebook group called Ask More Questions. I think we'd all be better off. We'd communicate better. We'd get along better. We'd get more work done. Maybe our relationships would be better if we'd all ask more questions. Beautiful. Well, I will include links to those in the show notes and the episode details so it makes it easy for people to do exactly that. Miley, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Here are my topographic top three takeaways from today's episode. One, leadership is like a train. Your vision is the engine, your people are the cars, and your team leaders are the links between the cars. Two, be aware of the work your people are doing, but don't do it for them. Otherwise, why did you hire them in the first place? Three, ask questions. Questions create conversations, which is where learning and growth can happen. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability. And thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. If they give us enough time, and that's really why I want that analogy of the train going through the switch, because I can't be all the way down on the track and you tell me to change. Now I got to back up and come back through the switch. The trains don't do that very well. No, they're not trains the size of Oracle. They don't do that very well. Exactly. (laughs)